Again, it's great to be here back from my time off. Appreciate those of you who pray for me when I travel and go on vacation. It was very, very restful. And like I said, it's God's funny that way, right? You sit there and you're all relaxed and your first Sunday back and literally everything's not working. It's like <laughs> the OCD in me is like, just kind of like, you gotta be kidding me. I don't even think the air conditioning's working today. Like nothing's working. But the Lord is. Thank you, Chris. Amen. Okay. And we firmly believe that as a church. And so just a couple of quick announcements. We are in this season right now of getting ready to relaunch so much of our ministry. As you know, a lot of things kind of take a bit of a break over the summertime to get a little rejuvenated and reinvigorated for what God is doing. So this coming Tuesday, we're having, we've been calling these, we've done one already and we're having a second one. We're doing these ice cream Sunday bars. Okay, so it's not like a bar bar, but it's like a whole lot of ice cream and a whole lot of like a whole lot of treats. And we've done this for a couple of ministries already. And so now we're doing this for our kid zone and our youth fusion ministry. So if you currently are serving in kid zone or fusion, this is just our way to like bless you with lots of sugar. Before you go into a new season of ministry, it's a way to thank you about what you've been doing in these ministries for so long. But it's also a time to pray together, to vision cast, to hear testimonies. And so if you've kind of been kind of wondering if you should be serving, whether it's in kids ministry or in youth ministry, you're invited to come to this as well. This is an open door thing. Come and check this out. I am a huge believer in the importance of kids ministry and youth ministry. Like I was actually talking with a group of pastors recently and we were talking about music and style of music and all of that. And I said, look, I unapologetically gear Sunday morning to the next generation. It's very intentional. You may not realize that. But it's very intentional. It's like, yeah, but how come we're not singing the songs I like? Because those of us with the gray hair, we should just kind of be a little bit more mature and hope beyond all hope that our kids and our grandkids are going to know Jesus. And hope beyond all hope that our kids are going to serve and follow the Lord and take over leadership from us. I'm ready to hand it over today. After this morning, I'm ready to hand it over to the next generation, man. Like, let's go. Okay, we got to raise them up. (laughs) Okay, so sometimes we think with kids ministry and youth ministry, it's like, well, but I don't like working with kids. I don't like working with teenagers. You know, there's a lot of other ways you can help out, whether it's technology, registration, snacks, all of these different things in the back end really help those ministries. So please consider coming on Tuesday. It's August the 15th, 7 p.m. back in the cafe. We're going to have lots of ice cream and a lot of great times. Come and check that out. Also, please make sure that you're staying up to date with the um, Church Center app and with the weekly email that goes out on Friday. If you don't get that email and you'd like to get it, there's a card in the chair in front of you. It's called a connection card. You can put your email there and just tick off that you want to receive the email that goes out every Friday. Because, again, it's a time of year when a lot of things are going to be happening. And uh, we're going to be launching our new ministry season on September the 10th. So really excited about that. And uh, what we're going to do starting September the 10th, and this has been on my heart and on Danielle's heart as as she oversees our discipleship ministry, is um, what does it fully, fully mean to abide in Christ? Like as followers of Jesus, we're called to abide in him and bear much fruit. 
And while we're abiding in him, Jesus does something that you might not really like. It's called pruning. And he prunes us so that we can be even more fruitful. And we live in a culture and in a day and an age where I've really believed that the importance of the church abiding in Jesus is so crucial. And so starting on September the 10th, we're going to be doing a series that's going to bring us all the way to Christmas Eve to teach us, to disciple us, to mentor us in abiding in Christ. And it's going to be done different ways. It's going to be done through the Sunday morning sermon. It's going to be done through life groups and get deeper into the topic in the life group study. And we're also going to make available. We didn't make it. We're partnering with another ministry to do this. And there's also going to be like daily devotions that we're going to make available to you and resources for you to really get deep into this. Because again, I don't know what your life looks like and what you're struggling with. But as I look at the world and the families that do come and invite me into their life, we need as followers of Jesus to be abiding in Christ more and more and more. Knowing that he's powerful, knowing that he's victorious, knowing that he still speaks to us and is still empowering his church to live an abundant life. And I'm really excited about that. So more information is going to be coming about that in the next couple of weeks. So that's on September the 10th. And so really excited about that. And then last announcement. I know I'm way over on the announcement time. See, the countdown's not working this morning, so I can just keep going. It's beautiful. (laughs) I'll start my watch when I preach, I promise. Okay. Um, On uh, August the 27th, so we're actually going to have like a family barbecue. So we're going to get the church together. We're going to have a barbecue outside. We just kind of celebrate summer, get ready for a new ministry year. Great time to meet people, get to hear a little bit more about the church and the ministry because we really believe it's so important for every, not, not for everyone to know everybody, but for everybody to be known by somebody. That's so important to us. And so come to this barbecue and we're also going to have a little fun. Uh, I'm not a sports guy, but I'm going to play. Okay. We're actually going to have a volleyball tournament. Okay, so you can sign up for this volleyball tournament. We're doing this as a fundraiser for Safe Families Ottawa. This is a, a ministry that we partner with as a church. We're doing a fundraiser right now called Play Day. So we're going to do a volleyball tournament. So if you want to like sign up with your friends to play volleyball, if you want to sign up with your family to play volleyball, if you want to get your life group together to make a team for volleyball, I don't know who, who wants me on your team. Yeah, I mean, you're going to lose, okay, but awesome, I'll, I'll be on your team, okay, I'll be on Jonathan's team, okay, we'll like just kick it for Jesus together, okay, but uh, you can check that out, all the info about that is in the email that goes out on Friday as well, so please check that out, that's going to be just a lot of fun. So, we are continuing uh, a sermon series that was started while I was on vacation, and um, I called this Made for Mondays, and I intentionally called it Made for Monday because... It's easy for us as Christians, as churchgoers, to have like a posture, to have an attitude, to present ourselves one way on Sunday, but then we look, act, behave, think, talk very differently on Monday. And so this whole idea that our Christian faith is not just simply a Sunday thing, but what we do on Sunday of worshiping the Lord, of hearing from God through his word, right, of serving and and giving and taking communion and all these things that we do on Sunday, it's to build us up, to prepare us for Monday. 
So I'm really grateful for Ron and Mike, who serve as on our elders team here, who started this series off. And um, you know, the, the, they started the series off in week one, talking about the big idea that serving is greater than being served. The whole idea that Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. We are called to be servants, not to be served. Also, the big idea of last week that we serve the one who will make the best choices for your life. We serve the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and he knows what he has planned for our lives. And today, I want to continue this theme of looking at our lives on Monday, and I want to talk about our competitors. I want to talk about the competition. Have you ever felt, depending on whether you work, whether you're in government, whether you're in military, whether you're a stay-at-home parent, at just some point in your life, whether it's in your career or in your family, have you ever felt like people are just against you? Show of hands. Show of hands. Like just, again, whether it's work, whether it's in your family, whatever, even church. Uh-oh, right? It just sometimes feels like. People are against us. My very first job when I finished school, I was a junior level programmer working in COBOL. Okay, some of you who work in technology, you know what COBOL is. It was this computer language created in the 60s, and the government still uses it. Okay, <laughs> no comment. Anyway, my very first job was working in this, and I worked for an insurance company. It was like this large-scale insurance-broking company that did insurance for the largest companies in the world. And we had this sales team that traveled all over the world to try to get more clients. Now, for those of you who work in sales, you know how this works, that if you can land one of these really big clients, you get bonus, commission, right? That's a part of the incentive to work really hard on the sales team. I'm brought in as junior programmer. I'm 21 and a half years old. I'm in the World Trade Center in New York City, standing before the CEO of this company because we found out through technology that the salesmen and women were outbidding one another for the same client in the same company. Two salesmen in the same company talking to the same client, lowering the price, lowering the price, lowering the price, lowering the price. Why? So that they can get the bonus. Guess what happened to that company? It went bankrupt because the people within the, the own company couldn't see the bigger good to say, no, it's not about my bonus. It's about the company. We got to put it into the company. Let's land the client. So here I was, 21 and a half years old, trying to convince these people to put in all of their prospective clients into the system I developed. Yeah, no one used that. <laughs> There's no way. No one's listening to this 21-year-old punk to try to tell them how to do their job because they want the bonus. You see, we live in a highly competitive world. And, and we can look at this as business. But sadly, we've got to look at this as a faith thing as well. When everything in your church on Sunday morning doesn't work... And you get the email saying, well, Pastor Kevin, I'm not going to attend your church anymore because the church over there does a better youth program or a better kids ministry program or a better sermon or a better music style. 
And that's just part of church. But it can feel like competition. (laughs) That we're competing for people. Competing for souls. Competing for offerings that go in the basket or online giving. Okay? There's a real danger when we look at the things of God. When we look at our lives and we look at our families, the people who seem to be against us and we treat the competition like enemies and so that's what i want to talk about today we're going to look at um, a passage from the old testament if you have a bible with you i'd encourage you to open it up it's uh, kind of in that first quarter part of your bible it's in a in a letter called second kings and this is a section of your bible that talks about the the ancient history of the people of israel and I want us to look at a passage. I honestly, I don't think I've ever, I've never preached on this passage before. I've never, I don't think I've ever heard a sermon on this passage before. It's a weird little story here, but I think it's really, really important for us. Knowing that we don't live in a perfect world, like in a perfect world, we'd all get along and the salespeople in our company would not be backstabbing one another. Right, That person who's like gunning for your job in the office wouldn't be talking smack about you to the boss and you don't even know about it. (laughs) The family member who doesn't really like your faith and they're talking smack about you at all the family reunions behind your back. All of this stuff that happens. In the perfect world, there would be none of that. But on this side of heaven, we're not in the perfect world yet. (laughs) So how do we prepare our hearts? How do we follow what the Bible teaches us about this so that we can live in this fallen world as perfectly as we can, trusting in the spirit and power of God in our lives. So this story, just to set up a little bit of context, is a story about a man named Elisha. Now, Elisha is a prophet in the, in the um, ancient Israel uh, timeline. He was the successor of the prophet Elijah. He was active in ministry in Israel for about 60 years, and he performed miracles, uh, he was teaching students, and he was very active in politics. He was very active in the affairs of the state. See, at that point in the history of Israel, Israel had divided. They split. The people of God split. What a strange concept that the people of God don't get along And they have to split. And they divide into two nations, Israel in the north and Judah to the south. And so Elisha is working in the northern nation of Israel. And he's doing this ministry to kind of bless the religious leaders, the political leaders, to bless the nation. And you see him doing all these different things, right? He does ministry. Uh, he, 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 he prays for the, the foreign lepers that are on the edge of society. He's praying for the royal households, for the nations around him. So he's a man of great influence in this time of Israel's history. So I'm going to read here from Second Kings chapter 6. And I'm going to read this story here that starts in verse 8. And I want to unpack this a little bit. We'll unpack the story, and then we'll look at a few points to help us deal with our competitors, whether that's in business, whether that's in just life, whether that's in faith. What does that look like for us to deal with our competitors? So 2 Kings chapter 6, starting in verse 8, says, Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel, and after conferring with his officers, he said, 
I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God, so the man of God is Elisha. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel. Beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel. None of us, my lord, the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who's in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. And the report came back. He's in Dawson. And so he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. And they went by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God, so this is a servant of Elisha, he got up and he went out early the next morning. An army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And as the enemy came down towards him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. And so he struck them with blindness, as Elisha had asked. And Elisha told them, this is not the road, this is not the city. Follow me, and I will lead you to the man you're looking for. And he led them to Samaria. Now, Samaria at this point is the capital of Israel. So after they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. And then the Lord opened their eyes, and they looked, and there they were inside of Samaria. And when the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? Do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill those you have captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them. And after they finished eating and drinking, he sent them away and they returned to their master. And so the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. Right, this is a very interesting story. And if you're kind of like one of those Bible nerds and you really like kind of figuring out where everything fits together and who's who and put together the timeline, this is a difficult story to unpack because it doesn't mention who the king of Aram is and it doesn't mention who the king of Israel is. And it doesn't even tell us exactly where these battles are happening because it starts off that I'm going to set up my camp in such and such a place. Now, Bible scholars kind of look at this passage and there's two reasons why this could be unclear. One, it could be because it's a story to just tell that this was happening regularly. That it was happening so many times in so many different places instead of writing it about this place and this place and this place and this place and this place. It's all summarized as one story because it was happening again and again and again. Right? Other Bible scholars think, well, the reason why the details aren't given is because this was being written during times of war. So when you're in a war... 
you don't write down where your king is going to be. Such and such a place. You don't give any evidence to your competitors, to your enemies, right? So which one is it? You decide. It's one or the other, okay? But don't get lost in that, right? Let's instead kind of unpack kind of the core teachings of the story here. And, you know, and again, as we saw, as I mentioned at the beginning, as I introed this, this is the nation of Israel divided into two parts, Israel in the north, Judah to the south. Samaria is the capital city of Israel in the northern kingdom here. And Elisha brings this enemy army right to the doorstep of the king of Israel. Right there. He takes this army. He gathers this army. He, you know, it's kind of one of these things is where there's like a little bit of tension with a story like this because this army shows up. And they're struck and blind. And Elisha says, oh, this isn't the city. And this is not where the person is you're looking for. (laughs) But it is the city. And they're right in front of the person they're looking for. Right? So God's okay with me lying. Don't jump to that conclusion too quick. Okay? I think sometimes God uses our lying (laughs) for his glory. It's not permission to. So we got to be mindful of that. It's a little kind of sidebar here. It's not always permission to be lying to everybody, okay? But so we see this response, and Elisha brings this enemy army right to the door of the king of Israel. And then the king asks Elisha, right? And he calls Elisha father. So this is a term of respect. This is a term of recognizing Elisha's leadership, right? And and he says, should I kill my enemies? Should I take out the competition, Right, the king of Aram is a pain in my backside. The pain, the king of Aram and his people don't like us. We want to get rid of them. Wouldn't it be great if there was no more king of Aram? Wouldn't it be great if there wasn't an army bothering us every time we try to go from place to place to place to place? Always worried about these people just popping out of nowhere. Let's just get rid of them. And Elisha's response, yeah, take them out, man. Get rid of them. Like, wipe them out. Get Yeah, they deserve it because they're the bad guys, right? And Elisha's response is the exact opposite of what I think my flesh would have cried out. He says, no, you're not going to kill them. In fact, you're going to feed them, and you're going to give them something to drink, Right? And what's fascinating is then the king of Israel's response. Again, so if I'm getting this response, no, don't kill your enemies. Feed them instead. And it's like, well, okay, I might have some moldy bread and some like dirty water that I could give my enemies. And I'm fulfilling what the man of God is telling me to do. But the king doesn't even do that. He puts on a great feast. He feeds his enemies. He throws a party for his competition. (laughs) And then they leave. And we see how this story ends. The bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. That's a fascinating way to end this story. The enemies aren't defeated. The enemies aren't killed. The competition's business has not gone under. 
We've not stolen all their clients and all of their best salespeople. But they leave Israel alone. Right? And so what we see here is like the big idea that I want us to unpack together is this. Is that God overcomes his competitors with goodness. God overcomes his competitors with goodness. And so how can this kind of faith, again, when we study passages like this, the goal is never to let's just behave like Elisha. Let's just behave like the king of Israel in this story. What we have to do is we have to unpack is what is it about Elisha's faith that allows him to respond this way? What is it about the king of Israel's faith that allows him to respond this way? So you and I can look at our lives and go, what is it about my faith that is either preventing me from responding this way or what allows me to grow and respond this way more and more. That's kind of the goal of this. So again, as you're thinking, for those of you who raised your hands and you can think of those people who have been against you, whether in business, family, church, wherever, right? Culture. How do we deal with our competitors with goodness, Right, the first point that I get from this story is this, is we have to be men, women, boys, and girls that are seeking divine discernment. We need divine discernment. Right, the servant of Elisha could not see what God is doing. You see, the servant of Elisha saw the army of Aram. And he could only see the world. He can only see the response of the world. How many times has that happened to us? Whether it's in our business, in our jobs, right? And we only see what the world presents to us. The bottom line, the the, the debit and the credit sheets and our RSPs and all of these things that we look at. Like, I mean, when I took basic economics, I'm not a finance person in any kind of way, but I learned that basic economics means you want your money to go up and to the right. That's your left, up and to the right. That's the way you want your money to go over time, more money, right? That's the goal. Right, And when you don't see up and to the right, we might not be looking at what God is doing. Sometimes finances go like this. Sometimes our lives go like this. Sometimes church goes like this, up and to the right and back and spins around and goes down to the parking lot and goes somewhere else for a little bit and then comes back. Okay, That's how this thing works. That's just life because Jesus promised that to us in this world. You will have many troubles. Jesus doesn't promise a life, a job, a career, a family, a ministry. That's always going up and to the right. Okay. But we have to take our eyes off of the world and we have to ask God to see what he's really doing. Right? And so that's what Elisha does here for his servant. Right? When the servant could not see what God is doing, he only sees the army. Elisha's response is, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Like if you're familiar with your Bible, you know that's a very, very familiar phrase. That term comes up again and again 
and again and again. It comes up all the time in the Old Testament as a future promise of God's salvation. It's a promise to Abraham, the very first person of faith that God built his nation from. He told Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 to not be afraid. I'm going to make you into a great nation. He told the prophet Isaiah during a time of exile when the people of Israel were under slavery of Babylon. He told them, do not be afraid for I am with you in Isaiah 41. Jesus uses these words constantly to his followers throughout his ministry to fear not, do not be afraid. Right? And just like the servant Elisha, the servant of Elisha, you and I can be so focused on only what we see with our human eyes. We need to be men, women and boys and girls who pray, open my eyes, Lord, so that I may see. You see, this is what Elisha prays for his servant. Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And then what did he see? Then he saw God's army, larger, more powerful, more in control than anything the world had to throw at Israel. (laughs) And then he could truly not be afraid. (laughs) When you and I can actually see what God is doing, doesn't that bring great comfort? (laughs) When work is hard and you're seeing people getting laid off left, right, and center, and you just don't know what you're going to do. Am I next? (laughs) Is my portfolio not going to go up and to the right? As this economy that we're living in, it just seems to get crazier and crazier, and it's harder and harder to make ends meet. Are we asking God to open our eyes? Show me what I can't see, God. I desperately need to see what you're doing. Now, he might not reveal the whole plan. And in my experience of walking with God, he very rarely shows me the whole plan. But he shows me enough to deal with today. He shows me enough to sleep very soundly that night. And then I can worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. Open our eyes, Lord. Open my eyes. I want to see your glory. I want to see your power. I want to see your plans. I want to see your victory. We need that divine discernment in our lives as we deal with the competition all around us. The second point that we see from the story here is we need divine protection, right? When we see what God is doing, like when we, he reveals to us what he's doing, that should bring peace into our lives that God is bringing his protection, right? And what I find fascinating about this story is we don't get the response of the servant here. You'd think that would be something interesting to put into the story, right? Like the story, the, the, it's about the servant. He can't see what God is doing. Elisha prays, give him discernment, open his eyes to see your glory, God. He sees the glory and then it's crickets. There's no answer. Like, how did the servant respond? You know, sometimes I wonder these stories they, they tend to finish because 
the way the Bible's written, it's, it's written in such a way to teach us about God, to show us God's character, but then to help us see God in our lives. And so as I read this, if I was the servant of Elisha, and then I saw God's fiery horses and God's fiery chariots, how would I respond? It'd be great to know Elisha's response, but at the end of the day, I'm more concerned with mine. Lord, when I see what you're doing, when I see your glory and your power and your majesty, that you are victorious over everything that this culture tries to throw at us. How do I respond? We respond knowing that God's protection is there. God's protection We should be in awe of it. The Bible promises that there is always a remnant of the people of God. The church will never be destroyed by culture. It's just never going to happen. The Bible promises it. The Bible promises us that God wins. I know how it ends. It's not always easy in the middle, but we know God protects. Right? And we see this idea again and again and again. When we see what God is doing, it builds in us knowing that there's this protection. Doesn't mean my business might not go under. Doesn't mean I might not lose my job. It doesn't mean there's not going to be challenges and difficulties. But that God still is protecting his children through these challenges. Right? Like, and we see this theme again and again of God's divine protection in the New Testament. Uh, a couple of examples. Second Thessalonians 3 says, But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. In 2 Corinthians 4, it says, We are hard-pressed on every side. Our competitors, our enemies, they're slamming against us, but we are not crushed. We're not perplexed, and we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Right? One of my favorite verses, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 6, it says this, So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? I don't need to be afraid of my competitors. I don't need to be afraid of my enemies. I don't need to be afraid of culture. I don't need to be afraid of all of this crazy stuff. That's going on in the world because God is with us, right? What can mere mortals do? Ah, they can kill me, which sounds bad. (laughs) And I'm not looking forward to it. I got a few more things I'd like to do. But if that's all they can do to me, then I'm in the full presence and glory of God for eternity part of God's divine plan, worshiping him forever, being a part of his great eternal kingdom where there is no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering, no more disease, no more competition, (laughs) right? So we got to trust in God's protection. So we need God's uh, divine discernment. We need divine protection. And then to wrap up quickly, just this, is then we also need to practice divine goodness. Because again, in our flesh, when it comes to our enemies, when it comes to the competition, 
the flesh doesn't always want to respond in goodness. Right? The response of the king of Israel, again, is fascinating here. Right? The king, the, Elisha tells the king to just give food and water to the enemies. And the king takes it to a whole other level where he gives a huge feast. Now, the text doesn't say this, but when you study the laws of Israel, again, we don't know who this king is, this king of Israel. We don't know if this was one of the good kings or if it was one of the bad kings. Israel kind of flip-flops all the time between kings that worship God and follow God and kings that worship other gods and kind of go their own way. We don't know which one this is, but we can get the hint that it's one of the godly kings because he's actually following the teachings of the law. The teachings of the law are treat your captives well. When you capture someone in war, you do not have permission to kill them. That's a commandment of God. See, God's commandments, when people go, oh, God is so barbaric, and he's all, look at all the war that God did. Study how God does war, and then grab a book on the ancient Middle Eastern culture, on how they did war. Very different. There's a huge ethics that God brings into his nation. How to treat women during war how to treat slaves, how to treat your enemies, how to treat those you capture. It's radically different than every other culture around there. So we don't know it from the text, but this king is responding to the teachings of God, to the law, that even though this king probably wanted to destroy his enemies, He's reminded that I can't break God's law. <laughs> that God has brought these, this army to me as a captive. And I'm now going to bless the captive. <laughs> See, and this is a principle that is so powerful throughout all of scripture. <laughs> it's because in our sin, we were captives. <laughs> in our sin, we were enemies of God. <laughs> And God doesn't destroy us. He doesn't give us what we deserve. Instead, God shows goodness to us. Those who were captured by sin. And we become, when we were slaves to sin, and we realize what Jesus has done to set us free from that, we now become slaves of God, which is a radically different posture to take. See, God's response is a response on his enemies that in our humanness, it, it's not natural. It's actually supernatural for us to respond to our enemies in goodness. I had one of my really good friends um, was a, a small business owner, and, and he owned a garage. And we were in a Bible study group together, and we were praying for one another in this Bible study that we were part of. And, and it was in a time when, I mean, the economy was going, it was rough, and small businesses were really struggling. And, uh, and my buddy, in the time when we were praying for one another, he, I said, well, you know, what, should, what would you like prayer for? I'm assuming you want prayer for your business, because I know things are really hard. And he said, yeah, yeah, we can pray for my business, but um, 
I want you to pray for the, the garage up the road because he's really struggling. And I really want his business to do well and to be blessed. And after I pick my jaw off the ground, because <laughs> I don't tend to hear small business people always asking for prayer for their competition, <laughs> that God would bless them. <laughs> see, that's the posture we see in this story, is that this king of Israel goes above and beyond what the prophet asks, blesses the enemy, the competition, and then the bands from Aram stop raiding Israel. They're both blessed. <laughs> See, that's the goodness of God that is so tricky for us to always understand. When we sacrifice, when we lay down our rights, when we kind of love our enemy as ourselves, oh, <laughs> when we pray for those who persecute you, Oh, when we, when someone asks for our coat, we give them our shirt as well. When someone says, go a mile, we go two. See, God's response is always a response of goodness to the competition. And then God blesses that divine discernment. God, give us eyes to see. Divine protection. God, I don't understand what's going on, but I know you're at work and I'm going to trust you. And then divine goodness. I know this isn't easy, Lord, but I'm going to trust that you're good and use your goodness through me. You see, God overcomes his competitors in this story with goodness. And this was a great reminder for me this week. You're coming back from vacation and kind of looking at where things are at and where, you know, and what we got to get working on in the fall and all of this stuff that we do as churches. At the end of the day, it's not about my plans. It's not about, you know, how great of a job I'm doing. Who cares? It's about what God is doing. It's what God is revealing. It's about God's protection in your life, in your family, wherever God sends you. And that we can trust in the goodness of God that he's at work and that he's moving. And so I'm just going to conclude. I'm just going to pray. The worship team's going to come back up. I'm sure the technology is going to kind of prompt us. I'd love it if in my sermons there was a voice that say, all in. That would be great. Yeah, that there's this voice. Maybe the Holy Spirit is saying to you right now, all in. <laughs> When you heard this sermon, okay? But that's what God wants for us. He wants us to be men and women, boys and girls that are all in. And in this new season of ministry, get all in. Because God's doing something. He's discerning things. He's providing protection. He's showing his goodness in so many things. So let's just, I'm going to invite you, let's stand. And let's pray together. Lord God, I praise you and thank you for your goodness. I thank you, God, for your protection. And I thank you, God, that you give eyes to see. God, when our response is to respond just based on what we can see, open our eyes. Open our eyes to what you are doing. Open our eyes to your power and your majesty and your glory around us whether that's in our business, in the jobs that we're working, 
whether that's in our families, whether we're stay-at-home parents or dealing with all the craziness of life, whether that's at school and as we prep to go back to school or summer classes and all of these things and it can be such a struggle, God. God, just open our eyes to see your army, to see you at work, and help us to see that we're just a part of your great plan. God, I pray your protection over this church. I pray this protection over your church, the bride of Christ, where you are doing amazing things all over this city and all over this nation. God, I pray that you would bless the church of Ottawa, that you would just use the bride of Christ in the city of Ottawa to have a gospel impact all across this city. And then that would have an impact in our nation. As you are transforming our nation's capital, you transform the world. So God bless your church. And God, as we step into a new season, whether it's school, whether it's work, whether it's family, whether it's ministry, God move in a mighty way. May your goodness be felt by us and by those around us. And maybe you're here today in this goodness of God that's available in Jesus. You've never welcomed that into your life. You can do that very easily right where you are here in the room or at online just by praying very simply, Father, forgive me, a sinner. I thank you for your goodness. And God, I don't want to be in competition with you to come into my life. If you pray like that today, the angels rejoice. We rejoice with you. And then you become a part of the plan that God has for your family, for your work, for your school, for your community. And we trust in God's goodness. So Holy Spirit, as we continue to worship, be glorified today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.